Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The following podcast was originally recorded as a live stream for YouTube on January 3rd, 2021, and has been edited slightly to account for the fact that you can't see what's going on. Proceed at your own risk. Hey folks, it's Steven. This is the uh, Just Another Fanboy live stream. Welcome, welcome what I do. You know me. I trip over my stuff. I got my Christmas tree behind me. We still haven't taken the Christmas tree down. It's going to be up for a while because we kind of we kind of postponed our gift giving side of the of the holiday. So we got to keep that Christmas tree up till we got some gifts to put under it. You know what I'm saying? But enough about that. I hope a whole bunch of you are joining me this week because I have what I consider a very extra special guest. He is an MC. He is a producer. He's a musician. He's a songwriter. And all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to bring him on. Michael Kill. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining hey. me on this. It's, it's, I'm really, I've, I told, I was talking to my daughter about an hour ago and I was like, oh, I'm really nervous. <laughs> she goes, why? And I said, cause I'm going to talk to Michael Kill. And she goes, she goes, who's Michael Kill? And I said, he's that one of those rappers I listened to. She goes, do I know any of his music? And I said, no, he cusses a lot in his songs, so I don't play him a lot in the car too much. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Tired, but good. (laughs) So uh, um, you holding up during the pandemic? Yeah, uh, pretty well. Um, You know, uh, like we were talking earlier, but my – my job has us back in the office. So for the most part of my life is kind of like back to normal other than that. I have no, uh, like social life outside of work, except for on the internet, which I guess is not that different than yeah. how things normally are. <laughs> yeah. But you know, well, okay. So I don't, I don't have any kind of order. I want to do these questions in, um, one of the main reasons I asked you to come on is because you had announced a while back that you had a new, two weeks notice EP that, that landed on Christmas. And so I thought this is a perfect opportunity to get you to come on here and, and talk about it. Yeah. Um, but you are, so I've always, I have referred to you a lot when I talk about you as a nerd core rapper. I don't, yeah. I don't know yeah. that I would call you that really anymore. Do you, do you consider yourself a nerd core rapper? 
Uh, yeah, but it's mostly like, so the thing I've always said is like nerdcore is not really like a genre of music. It's just like a music scene. It's yeah. kind of like a local music scene, but the locality is the internet. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't necessarily make music that a lot of people are going to think of as nerdcore, especially like my last couple projects. Um, but I have done stuff that's like way nerdier, like the stuff I did with Adam Warrock and stuff. And I get that that's how a lot of people get into me yep. and find out about my stuff. So I don't shy away from that name. I haven't been using it like on like press materials or anything for a while. Uh, I'll mention, mention it. Cause like, you know, like uh hipster please wrote, used to write about me and stuff. And I use like blurbs from him sometimes in my bios, whenever I'm sending them to events and festivals and stuff. So like it comes up, but it's not something I used like super hard. Um, I think like, but I think that's the thing is kind of like nerdcore is not really like a style because everybody that you hear that's nerdcore kind of is completely different. Right. But uh, it is like a scene, like everybody knows each other and, and we all end up playing the same events and, and there's a lot of overlap with everybody's fans in the scene. Uh, Cause nerdcore fans tend to be like really big fans cause they're nerds. So they're like, they track down all the different people they like and they follow everything, um, which is one of the definite blessings of nerdcore. But yeah, I think like, especially like the two weeks notice record, there's not really anything inherently nerdy about it other than it's made by two nerds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I did, I, I did uh, discover you through Adam Warrock. Uh, I think the first thing I'd ever heard you on was his song booster gold. Nice. Um, which is probably one of my favorite songs off that album. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, when I started checking you out, I think one of the first things that I grabbed onto, and you've got it right behind you, is the Retro City Rampage, which is very nerdy. Yeah, um, yeah. Not just the subject and the lyrics, <laughs> even the beats yeah. are very nerdy. Well, so, they, yeah, it was, they came out with that Retro City Rampage game, and I was like, oh, I want to... I loved the soundtrack to it. So I got Vince Vandal who also produced booster gold and he also produced my song, the moon. Um, I got him. I was like, Hey, can you just make me like, I'll send you which songs I want you to flip into beats, but just make me some beats out of these songs. And then we did the whole thing in like three or four days, I think. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I mean, originally that's what I, I, you were just a nerd core guy, but the, the, the more you put out, like, uh, I think your last, full solo was uh what human disaster yeah and you i mean you lean a little a little nerdy you do lean yeah. that way you you have your feet in the nerd life you uh, it, yeah you're into and, the wrestling even, and the and the anime and whatnot but yeah and even on that record uh on human disaster there's still like uh nintendo sounds hidden in some of the beats that <laughs> like you might not even notice until you've listened to it multiple times i use nintendo sense a lot for bass lines and stuff so there's like stuff that's hidden in the songs and there are always like punchlines. I mean, it's kind of a thing like all rappers are kind of nerds. They're like dudes obsessed with writing cool words. Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they all kind of skew kind of nerdy. And then my icon being the little cartoon kawaii heart is like all kind of nerdy. <laughs> so how, how'd you get started then in music? What, what got you started? Um, my dad was in bands when I was really young. Uh, like he was in metal bands. Um, and he had like 
almost like horrorcore lyrics, I guess. But I, so I grew up listening to a lot of like Black Sabbath and stuff like that when I was really little. And then when I got into my own music, I got really into hip hop and the Beatles and stuff like that. So like, um, I just, I think I was like 13 or 14 started making like songs on a like tape deck thing I could fake overdubs on. And then, uh, when I was like 15 or 16, I started making beats on a, like a old windows 3.1 machine. I figured out how to glitch sound recorder to make full length songs out of samples and stuff. And, uh, I, I was already teaching myself how to play guitar at that point and stuff. So I, I did a lot of like, kind of like folk punk stuff, but with a lot of hip hop drums and sampled bass lines and stuff. Um, and I was doing all that all through high school. I started selling cassettes in the hallway at school and I'm old enough that that was like normal to be selling cassettes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and CDRs, you know, like people used to buy CDRs from me when I worked at a record store right out of high school. Like, so all that, I kind of started making music in the early nineties when I was a teenager and, and, uh, kind of never stopped, I guess. Um, but I was always like, once I had like a four track, I, I actually borrowed one from my uh, first girlfriend's like dad that he had. I'd started making albums that way and just overdubbing myself playing everything and just kind of taught myself the basics. I didn't have a sampler, so I had to like learn how to actually like play a bunch of instruments that way. But uh, yeah, and I've just kind of evolved over the years from that. I, I didn't really get anywhere with doing music until I was until like around 2010, probably we did when we did a, the first show we played with MC front a lot. And then uh, hipster please was there and they wrote about us. And suddenly all these people knew we were nerdcore and I was with my group, the thought criminals. Um, and so it kind of like took off from there. And that's when I started really doing a lot of shows and touring and stuff um, other than outside Charlotte, where I'd originally came up Um so yeah, it's kind of been a weird path. <laughs> but, well, but, uh, yeah. you, you seem to like to collaborate a lot because you mentioned Thought Criminals. That was mm-hmm. what one of your first things. And then you've done um since since you've started doing your own stuff as Michael Kill, you've also done um Oh good Lord, what was there there I just I had it just a little while ago. I mean, other than two weeks' notice, there was another one in, in Troubleshooters. Between. Troubleshooters, that's right. Yeah. Troubleshooters is uh, me and Ant 80 from Dual Core. And uh, I do all the beats in Troubleshooters and we both rap. It's kind of, it's the same setup as what we have with Two Weeks Notice, just with me and Ant 80 trading verses. And there's a lot more like uh, computer focused, technology focused stuff and stuff about being in IT, I guess, yeah. um, in the Troubleshooters stuff, just because I'm, he's a hacker and I'm a system administrator. So it's just sort of like, what we're both into. (laughs) So we end up talking about computer stuff a lot in the songs. Um, I try to give each one of those projects kind of like their own sound, like two weeks notice is a lot more like soul samples. Um, I actually sampled like a lot of old seventies, Japanese jazz stuff on the new EP. Um, But the first two weeks notice, I sampled a lot of like obscure funk stuff, especially stuff from the Southeast from where I'm from. That was like rare 45s and stuff. Um, Thought Criminals kind of started out almost as like a noisier project originally when we were doing it. Um, and it's always been the one that has the most direct like video game samples and stuff like that in it. And then my solo stuff kind of tends to be all over the place because I think probably what I'm best thought of for as solo is like 
it sounds like 1993 style hip hop for a lot of what I do. But then you, uh, I also do like a lot of side project EPs that are like instrumental, like ambient music, or I, I have like a bunch of folk punk projects that I've done. Um, so, and, uh, my live band that I use for my solo stuff, we've been working on a project for a while that, uh, me and the keyboardist, um, Jessamine Thursday, uh, we're going to trade vocal responsibilities on stuff like that. I think like, After I did Human Disaster, uh, I was like, I didn't really want to do solo projects anymore. I was like, because I was like, Human Disaster is like the best solo record I can make, it felt like. And it was like daunting to try to do that again. So I was like, I'm just going to do duo projects from now on (laughs) and like work with my friends because it's uh, like... It it's really easy for me to work in like a pair or or if I'm like writing with other people, it just flows like super fast. Um, whereas doing solo stuff is it become much more. It takes me a lot longer than it used to. Yeah. So one of the questions I, I had written down was when are we going to see something new from yeah. Michael Kill? I guess I could just write down maybe not for a while. Well, actually, now all that said, <laughs> I've kind of like walked that back after doing a bunch of do- duo projects. Um, I started working on a solo album um, maybe a year or two ago, and then I kind of put it down because I, I worked on an EP where I, I used all beats from this guy, DJ Payne One, who's a producer I like a lot, um, and it was called Terminal. And uh, that was the first like solo thing I had done that was rap, really, I think, after I had my cancer diagnosis a couple years ago. Um and it took so long to finish that solo rap EP <laughs> that whenever I went to try to go back to finishing the solo album, I had started it It just kind of like start and stopped a lot. And then I kind of got focused on the other projects. The thing I've been working on solo now is uh, I'm working on a instrumental album that is like a soundtrack to a spaghetti Western that doesn't exist. Uh, and it's like so far, it's other than the drums, it's all live instruments and it's me playing guitar and bass and keys and stuff. Um, I have no idea when I'll finish that because I just kind of like do songs for it as I get inspired. Um, but that I'm, I am working on and I, I do intend to actually finish like the solo rap album I started a while back. Um, just kind of like go back and revisit and revise what I have so far, maybe scrap some of it. And then uh, I do plan to finish that. And I want to do I want it to be kind of like a more. I want it to be like the opposite of human disaster, I guess, because human disaster is like such a dark record. I really want to do like a really fun solo record yeah. that like conveys my sense of humor better. Cause I don't know that that record did. <laughs> uh, so you can pretty much do it all though. Right. I mean, if you wanted to just, you just do it all by yourself, you could just from start to finish. Yeah. And, uh, and I have done that. Um, a lot of times now, uh, Cecil Nick from the group Autocorrect, he mixes and masters most of my music, and he does a lot of post production and works with me on some of my beats and stuff. He's kind of like my, um, he's really like the closest collaborator I have. Um, the only person I really let tinker with my beats the way he does. But uh, so usually he's involved in some capacity, but I I have done whole records where I did like everything, um, and I. Even some of those EPs I put out, the I think the folk punk one I did, uh, I think I did everything on that and and mixed it and mastered it myself too. Like I can, I do appreciate now in a way I didn't used to when I was younger. The actually just uh, 
letting other people in to help. I think like whenever I was younger, I was like really into the idea of like, I'm going to do everything. Cause I was obsessed with like Beck and Hayden and, and even like RZA, like dudes who were like doing as much of the stuff as they could in the studio on their own and like really prided themselves on that. So it took a long time to even like be comfortable letting other people mix my music. Cause I was so like, this is mine. It's my baby. Uh, but now that I'm older, I've relaxed about it a lot and I, I really enjoy getting like, like I love sending a song out to Cecil and I'm like, I think this sounds good. And then hearing what's on it when I get, get it back. Cause he'll, he'll fix little things I don't think about or don't hear necessarily cause you're too close to the stuff. Um, so I don't know. I can appreciate collaboration in that sense now in a way that I never could when I was younger yeah. at all. <laughs> Well, and, and technology today just makes it so much easier. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I used to be, I say, I always say in a previous life, I was a musician. I used to be, uh, from like 86, uh, I learned how to play the drums in 86 and right away started, a, uh, joined a cover band nice. and, uh, was playing music until about 2002. Um, and it was much different back then. I mean, I think uh, the last band I was in, we actually went to some dude's house and re- recorded a, a four song EP on yeah. his computer in his home studio. But before that, we'd have to rent studio space and yeah. put stuff out on tape and, mm. you know, try to try to book shows and sell the tapes at the shows. And then is then once I got out of it and I started finding stuff like nerdcore and, and, and indie music and whatnot, I was like, man, we could have used all this stuff back then, you know, just YouTube by itself and then yeah. other just these places where you can just put you can now you can it's you can make something and put it out there for the world to hear mm-hmm. as long as you know how to use the technology yeah i think even in the 90s like toward the end of when i was in high school there was there used to be a site called Bandcamp. it was a band camp it was garage band it was yeah it was garage band because it was before mac had made that software uh but there was a site called garage band and it was run by like George Martin and a bunch of other like producers of that were all major label dudes or whatever. But they, they basically would let you upload a song. You had to review a certain number of songs by other people and give them constructive feedback. And then those people had to receive your feedback and they would approve whether or not it was legitimate. So you couldn't just trash something and insult people. You had to actually provide constructive feedback. And, uh, and then once you had done that, then you could upload a song of your own and then people would be able to review it too. And then uh, they did a thing where like the whole thing was like, you got to uh, like compete for a record contract if you got high enough on the rankings or whatever. But that, that was like never going to happen for most people. And I don't know if it ever happened for anybody because the site ended up folding, but I thought that was a great system. And it was, I learned a lot in that time period from that. I think that helped me a lot whenever we first started doing music um, cause I did, cause it was like a great way to get totally unbiased, unfiltered feedback from other musicians that were making the same styles yeah. you were. Um, and that, but that was kind of like early internet thing. Now you have Bandcamp and you can upload whole albums and stuff. Um, but I do, I wish there was more outlets that were like that, where it was like, um, something fostering community f- for yeah. like bands like that i think we benefited massively from that in the early 2000s i think like message boards too message boards 
were really big in the early 2000s and that helped us a lot with like I was doing I was doing songs and I even put out a record in like 2006 um there was a lot of stuff over the years but and you would get more direct feedback from people because you were in these communities of like you know like hip-hop fan websites and stuff I, I think that's missing now but it's kind of weird because uh you have way better distribution model where you can you can get an account with DistroKid and have your record in every online store, but you don't also have the same kind of like community building tools because Facebook and Twitter are not good for that. <laughs> yeah. They used kind to be. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. MySpace was great for it, um, yeah. but way less so with uh, Facebook and Twitter and the algorithms. Yeah. So let's talk about two weeks notice because you just, you dropped your second one uh, on Christmas Day. Yep. And that was through, uh, what was that, Fake Four? Yep. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, Fake Four Incorporated is the label. And in December, they give out like four releases through December usually. Uh, Chesky, who runs the label, he's like one of my very favorite artists of any genre. And he's also just like an awesome person. But he had asked us like two years ago if uh, we wanted to release uh, a record through them or whatever. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and he followed up with me and we had enough material already to just put it out. Cause we've been working on a two weeks notice album off and on since 2015, but we ended up just like throwing everything away and making a whole new record like really fast, which was yeah. basically the same process. We made the first. Uh, well, let's two weeks talk notice about file. the first one. How did two weeks notice get together? Cause it has to do with the name. Yeah. So basically two weeks notice in uh, 2015, me and uh, Tribe One were planning to go on tour, but we still hadn't booked it. And it was the beginning of the summer. And uh, Tribe One Niles was like, uh, I took a job as a teacher and I'm going to I'm not going to be able to tour anymore unless we do stuff in summer. And I don't know if I'll be able to do it then. So I was like, all right, well, like we should still try to tour. And then he was like, well, what if we just do a whole record? And then book the tour while we're working on the record and then leave in two weeks. And I was like, and we'll just call it two weeks notice. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And normally Niles is like, he takes forever to write. He's usually the one, like if we're writing in the same Google doc, I'm done an hour before him a lot of times. So it was his idea, but he's the one who was going to have a way harder time with it. But, he actually did it. We were working like 20 hours a day. Like I would get up in the morning at like 8 a.m. At the time, the only thing I was really doing was rap full time. I would get up first thing in the morning, make beats for for like till sometime around five. And then he would get on right for a while. He'd get back off. I'd work on beats a little longer Then he'd get back on. And we'd write until we went to bed. And we did that like every day for a week. And then Cecil mixed it all. And we were done with the record. And I think it still stands as like one of my best releases. Um, my, my two best solo albums are snuggle is real and uh human disaster. And two weeks notice actually came out between those two. So, and, and like I was working on human disaster while we made two weeks notice pretty much. So, uh, so there's, it, there's the cover. I don't know if you can yeah. see that there's the cover. And I, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me till today. Uh, but I was, I had both this one and the new one on rotation and I just happened to look down at one point and I said, there's a, there's quite a similarity 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Between those two covers, that's two people looking at a fire. Is there, yeah. what's, what's the story behind that? So the first one is uh, the first album, the cover, I'm trying to remember for sure, because one thing that I really like doing is I look for old books that have fallen into public domain and I look at their illustrations and then I'll like try to use some of that stuff for artwork. So the cover is actually redone by a artist named Dominic Prestera. He did both two weeks notice releases. And at the time when he did the first one, he was actually working for Archer as like a background artist. Um, but basically both instances has something to do with work. This one is a giant factory fire. <laughs> that is some factory burned to the ground in the 1800s. Uh, and the little two guys up front are supposed to be us. Basically. I think there were more people in the original image from the book. And then we just had Dominic cut them all out <laughs> uh, and leave us standing there. The other one is uh, whaling ships that are trapped in the ice and these two dudes basically escaped to the shore and they're watching the boats burn from the shore. Um, I don't know what the story is deeper than that, but it just seemed perfect for what we were doing. Nice. <laughs> we just, had to cover just, that for a while. So Yeah, I just noticed that today. I was looking down. I'm like, okay, now which one is this off of? Well, there's a fire on the phone. What? And then I just... I'm not the fastest in the shed, <laughs> so it took me a moment. But yeah, that was definitely that was definitely the idea. Uh, basically, just people at work watching their workplace burn down. Basically, when we did to when we named it two weeks notice too, like we knew Niles had took this job that was going to make it way harder to do music and stuff. So we didn't really know what the future was going to look like for that stuff. So um, there was definitely an element of that. We wanted people to kind of wonder like, is this mean they're quitting or whatever? And obviously <laughs> we weren't, uh, you know, Niles has been, Niles hasn't released anything since I think 2016, but well, he took his name. He, yeah. There's yeah. He's been talking about changing his music name for a while to Niles gray um, and just using his legal name. But um, yeah, he, he works very slowly. So it is whenever he's working on a solo album, it takes forever, but he, he has a group called Malibu shark attack yeah, um, and they're working on an album. They've been working on off and on for years. And he's also, I think it's some producer from Italy that Niles is working with. He's got a rap album, mostly finished that uh, I don't know when he plans to release it though. Um, Kind of the one thing with the COVID stuff is it kind of like delayed a lot of the stuff we were working on. We weren't sure um, if we were going to stick to the same release schedules and stuff. I produced two EPs for N80 from Dual Core, um, and those are actually extremely nerdy. <laughs> uh, those, I think, are finally coming out in January, but we had originally finished them in like May. And we would have normally released them in June at the latest with that being the case. So what does that mean to produce? You say you produce it. What, what does that mean? What does that entail? Um, so basically it means to create the music. Um, it, produce means different things depending on different styles of music, though. Like if you're a producer in rap, it almost always means that you are a songwriter who's, uh, who is handling the music side of the song. Um, so And that might mean you're just chopping up samples. I mean, and that could mean just looping a sample if if that's all you do to it, or it could mean something super intricate. It could mean playing a whole bunch of live instruments. It kind of changes. And even for me, it changes like all the time. I I don't consistently make music in one way. So I do a lot of like sampling. I do a lot of 
live instruments. I do a lot of mixing the two. So, um, yeah, uh, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. In other styles of music, the producer is frequently like the person picking songs for the band to use on an album and to record. Like if you go back to like the sixties, it might be them like straight up telling the band what songs they had to play and record in the studio. Um, but if you're looking at like, you know, like in the Beatles, the producer was a guy that wrote all the string parts and, and like kept them on task in the studio. Um, so it kind of depends on what you mean, but in terms of rap, it's basically a songwriter that just focuses on the music side. So when, when you write a song, um, Mm -hmm. What typically comes first for you? Is it the beat or the words? Um, pretty much always the beat nowadays. Uh, I used to sometimes write lyrics first, especially like 10 years ago. Like I did that a lot. Um, but I haven't done it that way in a really long time. It's almost always yeah. the beat comes first now, even if it's uh, sometimes I might write to a different beat and then change what, the instrumental is and write it around the words I created for something. But, yeah. but usually I create the music first nowadays. How about with uh, two weeks notice? Did when you guys start writing, um, you, you were doing the beat. So would you just put something kind of basic together? Uh, yeah. Although as, as you're adding more to it, then you and Niles are, are writing lyrics or. Well, kind of the way I tend to work most of the time, the beats pretty much totally finished by the time we start writing to it. If it's a project that I'm doing, um, there's sometimes where I'll like change the beat around what we wrote. And I think I even did that with, um, uh, can't hold us down on the EP. I think I did that where I kind of changed the beat around what we had written originally. But, uh, a lot of times I'm totally finished. I kind of like, I pride myself on kind of speed being like a speed runner, but for making beats, <laughs> uh, I have like a really streamlined process. Uh, and usually it doesn't take me a real long time to make a beat. Um, and uh, like when we did the no friends family reunion, which no friends is like my rap crew or whatever. Um, we do these big events every like five years called the no friends family reunion. And, uh, the last one we did, we did talks at it kind of like a conference, and I demonstrated to people how to create a beat. And in, in less than 30 minutes, I created a beat beginning to end and then had somebody come up and freestyle on it, like all in one big go. So I, it's kind of like a thing for me. I really like working fast um, and kind of the way my brain works. Like I need to work fast or I'll lose the narrative. Um, so, yeah, usually like when we sit down to write the two weeks notice stuff, I had the beats pretty much already made. Um, the only things that might change is like length. Uh, I think Niles might've asked me to like, make like the chorus a little different or something. He'll do, he'll do something like that. Like, he'll be like, Hey, can you like make something to make the chorus stand out a little more as the chorus? And I'll go back and change things around or whatever. So, uh, he definitely has input on that. If like, there's something he thinks will make the beat stronger, like, change the drums or whatever the case might be. Then I'll go back sometimes and do that. And then Cecil kind of like comes behind and looks at everything and then he'll change stuff too. So he actually added bass line. He, he played bass on, I can't remember which song 
title it was that he played bass on, but he plays bass on one of the songs on the record, and he sang some extra choral vocals on a different one. And so, is, is is Cecil watching? We got a we got this early on from from a Cecil. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that would be Cecil if he's still watching. Uh, yeah, that that is Cecil. Cecil is a uh, he's he plays a couple different instruments, and he's a producer. Um, he's like his group autocorrect kind of started out as like a really avant-garde project. When I first met Cecil, he was doing like straight up nerdcore stuff. Um, he had like a song about, uh, toxic Avenger and stuff like that. Um, and that stuff was fun, but then he kind of like got way more personal and that's always my jam, like more introspective stuff. Um, and so then, that was, that was autocorrect on Christmas day on the, the fake four Friday. Yes. Right. Was that no, him? Was so that normally, Cecil? Yeah, that was Cecil. Normally autocorrect is actually like four people, sometimes five. Uh, and they are like a live band. Uh, some people are just playing samplers. Some people playing guitar and they have a dude that plays keys and bass and a bunch of other instruments. Moses, who's like an amazing musician. Um, so they have like a bunch of people in the band too. So autocorrect's not really like a solo project. It's, it's like a more collaborative effort than, yeah. uh, my production style. I don't think I can, I don't know if I can work in the way he does with that. Like, I think there was, their results are great, but I have like a hard time. I think partially probably because I'm like musically illiterate in a lot of ways. I know how to play all these different instruments and I can write songs and, uh, I, I do everything by ear more or less though. I don't, I don't know how to read sheet music and I can't, I can't even read guitar tablature, which is like, it's like, baby's first she's sheet music basically <laughs> i can't even read that i have a, yeah. and it, it's impossible for me to translate the numbers into music i don't know why but um but i, I can do i kind of do everything by feel and and you know whatever which cecil gives me shit about but <laughs> my only my only experience in songwriting was uh the the you know back when i was a musician and what we would do is two different bands did it two different ways there was a, a four piece i was in and one of the one of the three other guys uh we had a singer guitar player and a bass player they'd show up to practice and they'd go hey i got this riff and then yeah. by the end of the night we'd have a song written without lyrics we'd have all the yeah. music written and then the another band i was in it was a three piece and our bass player was the singer and he pretty much he wrote most everything he would come to the he would come to practice with something that he had used a drum machine on and he'd mm. already have the song on like a like a little tape deck, and he'd go, "This is a new song I wrote." And then we would just pick it yeah. up there at the at at practice. But being yeah, with a, my, being a drummer, I didn't. Uh, other than doing my drum parts, I didn't. I didn't mm. have a lot to say in the yeah the songwriting with my live band. Like a lot of times, it is I bring in projects where I've like done most of the parts. My guitarist Andy is like crazy good guitarist. Um, he's all over both of my solo albums. Um, and he's really good at like finding like good arrangements inside of what I've already done. Um, and slappy Jessamine is like a great keyboardist. They're both like way more technical musicians than me. So, which is good, but we're like a small enough group that it doesn't become like difficult to work together. Um, and they don't have to, they brain me in when I get too crazy sometimes, but the, like for the most part, it, it's pretty seamless. Um, and we do work on like we, one of the um, vanity projects I did is actually, I wrote like three songs with them that were instrumentals all at once um, in one go on 
Black Friday one year when they came and stayed at my house. Um, so I can work in like a band thing. I think like I use, I tend to have like really conventional song structure. I think like with autocorrect, they are way more experimental with what they do, uh, which like I'm, I'm just not, I'm, I'm always like a verse chorus, verse chorus, maybe have a middle eight, you know, type of person. <laughs> but I think it's just like years of listening to lots of like punk and, and Beatles and like pop music. I just really like conventional song structure. Yeah. First chorus, first chorus, guitar solo, maybe a break, yeah. chorus end. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so, no, go ahead. Uh, so we are actually, like my band and me are actually working on a record, or we were before the pandemic started, because now we can't get together and write the way we were. So it kind of got like backburnered, but I'm hoping we can actually finish that this year. It's like a Portishead type project we started working on. So let's let's talk about how the pandemic has changed things up for you this year. Um, I know that uh, at one time, like with the bigger named acts, like a national act, they make all their money touring. They mm. really make anything off album sales. Is that the same thing for for an indie? Uh, well, I don't tour like I used to. I used to tour a lot. Um, me and Adam Warrock toured a lot. Me and Tribe One toured a lot. Me and uh, Sean from Thought Criminals, we did a couple tours together. Um, so I used to tour a lot. I haven't toured a lot since like 2015, probably, maybe 2014. Um, I do a lot of like hacker events and stuff, one-off like mini tours, or I used to. Um, me and AD from Dual Core do a lot of shows that are at conferences, though. And I usually do at least like one a month. And those do like supplement my income usually, um, especially like DEF CON. Uh, the first year I went there, I sold like we brought 200 copies of an EP that wasn't out yet. And we sold them all at DEF CON one year in like three days. So like so, some of those events are great for that stuff. Some of them I don't even bring merch to because it's like people don't have the cash and you're at a hacker conference. So they don't want to yeah. run their credit card off your phone anyway. Uh, so, you know, like it just kind of depends. And some of the events pay really well. Some of them don't, you know, it just kind of depends on what it is and what, how big the event is and stuff. Um, that stuff to me was more like an emotional bread and butter thing where I've kind of like become cognizant of like, I, I was used to doing shows like on a monthly basis, getting on a plane, flying somewhere, doing a show, having the crowd be super dope and then fly back home and like not having that and just being in isolation for like a year. Basically, my last show was in January of last year. Um, that's like crazy, like unheard of. This is the first time in over a decade that I've went this long without playing in front of a crowd. Um, and I don't think I really realized how much like my emotional well-being like, hinged on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like its own weird kind of therapy. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely been difficult to say the least um, to not have those shows. And, and it like from a money standpoint, yes, but more from just like a, like how I feel standpoint. Yeah. It's an outlet that I've just like not had for a year that I've had for so long. And that, I mean, and that can have an effect all over. I mean, that could affect you to when it comes to even just writing new stuff. Oh yeah. If you're not, 
if you're not getting pumped going out there to to to, to play the new stuff for people, yeah, you may not want to write the new stuff. Well, that was like a that was a thing. It took a long time to actually sit down and write stuff once it started because it was like um, you weren't like having experiences. You know, you're stuck in your house. Yeah. And when I was working from home for four or five months, I didn't leave the house at all. I just worked from my house. I would sit on my deck sometimes and work from there. But I wasn't like going anywhere. My kids have been having my kids haven't been to school in over a year, I guess. This kind of all came off the tail end of like the school being closed over like weather stuff and different things like that. So it's been like my my kids haven't left the house in so long. My wife barely leaves the house except for her to go like get supplies. I'm back in the office, so I I go to work some and stuff. Yeah. But it's weird. Like whenever I first came to where I, I'm working now, like I was like, oh well, I'll explore the area, and you know, I always like to check out like independent businesses, like restaurants and stuff when I move somewhere new. Well, I couldn't do any of that. I just like got here and then I was like, oh, well, I guess I just have to sit in my house. <laughs> you cannot do anything. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was difficult to like get inspired whenever you're not having like experiences. Um, it feels like every day feels like uh, like the day before is Groundhog Day. Yeah. How many kids you got? <laughs> uh, two. Ages? Uh, my daughter is 12 or wait, no, she just turned 13 uh, in September. And my son will be 10 uh, this month. So, they holding up okay? Uh, the pandemic has been rough on them. I think, like, my daughter does better with not being around people, but my son really needs social interaction in a, in a way I can't relate to, I guess. Um, and my wife is very much an introvert, so she's like, she's like, my life hasn't changed that much other than we just don't get to have people over on the weekends anymore, you know? Um, but her Monday to Friday, she's not normally interacting with people anyway. Yeah. It's just like the kids being stuck at home with her and being star crazy. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. My, I'm working from home. I got three kids. Uh, the oldest is, uh, 18 youngest is 15. And my oldest, my son, he's, he spends most of his time. He's got his crew, that he mm-hmm. gets on Discord with and spends most of his day just chatting with them and listening to music and talking about music and, and, and all that junk. So he actually, uh, he's the, he, I, we just heard about MF Doom yeah. and I feel like a big sap because I'd never heard of this guy before. Really? Um, well, oh, man. you got to understand I'm from small town, Kansas. <laughs> yeah. So any <laughs> hip hop that I was ever, uh, that I would ever see came from Yo MTV raps. That was it. There's not even really a lot of local radio that plays that, but yeah, with doom, there was so much rap. I got into like the early two thousands, late nineties were like kind of this golden era for indie rap where it was, I mean, it was a very punk rock scene. Um, and there's still a lot of those guys still making stuff. I mean, LP was in company flow back then. And, uh, you know, now he's in run the jewels and, and huge, but, uh, you know, I was always kind of digging for that stuff. I would just buy stuff cause of the way the cover looked, you know, just finding like indie rap stuff that was on weird labels. Um, and in the late, late nineties, I worked in a record store too. So I was like reaching out to, um, I would reach out to indie labels and be like, Hey, you know, I work for a corporate record store chain, but you know, I'm a key holder and I get to pick what goes in the listening stations, send me promos and I'll 
put them in listening stations and try to order your stuff into the store if the management will let me. So I, there was a lot of stuff like that, like that I found out that way. Um, and I was just always, I was always good at tracking down bands, even whenever that was harder to do. Nowadays, you can, you know, go on Spotify and find all these obscure bands <laughs> or whatever. But back then, wasn't really the same. But Doom was like, you know, kind of proto nerdcore guy, I guess. Um, wore the Victor Von Doom mask and yeah. with a green hoodie on, and like the covers, like Doom with the like a mic drawn straight up comic panel. Um, so that stuff was like immediately interesting to me. And he had a group called KMD that had worked with third base um, in the nineties too. So, uh, but doom was definitely like, I love that kind of like gritty lo-fi stuff. He was doing the early stuff and the, it was just a very punk attitude about making hip hop music. Um, so that and Deltron, I think like really like for a lot of people that are in nerdcore that are my age anyway, and a lot of the older, like first generation nerdcore stuff, like you probably be able to trace a lot of influence to Del, the funky homo sapien and the, the project Deltron 3030 and MF Doom and his Victor, his like uh, Victor Vaughn record and the King Ghidorah stuff he did, like all that stuff. Um, I think it was like a huge impact on people that ended up being nerdcore rappers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like very, like it's very much like it's pure hip hop and they never considered themselves part of like any nerdcore scene, but, um, but yeah, it was still like a nerdy element to it. It wasn't, it didn't shy away from it. I mean, there's like, there's a song on doom's first record where he's just straight up rapping over the Scooby-Doo stuff. He looped. And it's got like chops of the, like, Hey, from the, <laughs> Scooby, where are you? He's got the the hay chopped into the yeah. beat in like a cool way. I um, definitely need to check him out. My my son was talking about it when it when it when it was released that he had passed away over a month ago. Yeah, and uh, I said, well, let me let me check this guy out because Simon said I think you'd really like him, Dad. And I, so I just looked him up and I said, this is a guy that raps with the freaking do mask on. Where yeah, the hell yeah. I been? You know? <laughs> yeah, the Mad Villainy record. I really recommend that. And the the first uh, Victor Vaughn record is really good too. Um, he's definitely a really big influence um, on me. Whenever I get like writer's block, I'll put on an MF Doom record and yeah. listen to it, and it always always gets me going. After a while, he always has like you know like like you can criticize that he has a, he more or less has the same flow on every song. He he never really changes out how he raps, but his wordplay and his references are so dense. There's just like so much to pick apart in what he's saying. And it'll sound, I guess it's kind of like the Bruce Springsteen thing where it's more complicated than it sounds like it is at first listen. Um, but it's like that, but for wor- just the words, like is there's always a lot going on in his wordplay. So where do I start? Give me an album. I would say Mad Villainy is the one. Like Mad Villainy to me is, it's it's a song album with no singles. There's almost no choruses on the whole album. Yeah. And it's a record made mostly out of like weird jazz samples. Uh, it's a collaboration with him and another producer. Um, and Operation Doomsday is uh, another solo album of his. It, Operation Doomsday is kind of all over the place quality wise, but it has some of my very favorite songs of his on it for sure. Okay. But Mad Villainy is a great place to start. That that record is uh, to me one I can just like listen to over and over again. All right. I will definitely check it out because uh, yeah. um, I think the I think the one song I listened to after I looked him up was uh, Rap Snitches. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I, I was kind of digging that. So that album's a good album too. Uh, yeah, the, 
mm, food record is good. Yeah. That's so, kind of like the whole concept of that album is like working in food things into every song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody's watching live, if, if y'all got any questions for Michael Kill, please feel free. Leave put, put in your, your questions and comments. We'll, we'll get them up on the screen. Um, let me let me ask you this. This may be kind of like one of those uh, which is your favorite kid type of questions. But mm. what songs are you that what songs have you done? Uh, whether it's something you've collaborated on or something you've done all yourself all on your own, what are, what are some of them that you're probably the most proud of? Uh, that's kind of hard to pick. I guess like, um, I think get there off a of human disaster is like a real high point of both production. And, um, I don't even love, I don't love my verses on that totally, but the production and the hooks, like I really love, I love Chesky's rapping part on that in particular. Um, I think I love the moon because of the chorus. It's such a stupid chorus, but it's like <laughs> so much fun to do live. Uh, I love um, Long Week off a of Human Disaster. It's one of my um, favorites. Shut It Down, well, or Shut Down Dash H Now from the Troubleshooters, which I kind of wrote that song. That's all live instruments, like, it's like a real guitar heavy song, but I wrote it specifically for me and AD to do at hacker conferences. Cause like, who's going to shut it down? We go shut it down. And the crowd always goes back and forth with us. It's like, I love David's verses on that. Um, I remember now by the thought criminals, that's like one, uh, objects in space with Adam Warrock. I don't rap on that one. I just did the beat, but it's like one of my favorite beats I've ever made. One of my favorite, raps he's ever done i feel like i'm forgetting something off of me and adam warrock i produced his last ep before he retired and every beat that is on that record was originally intended for human disaster <laughs> which, and, EP was, which EP uh, was that gifted student which was the okay, last thing yeah. he released uh before he quit yeah um all the beats on that were originally for human disaster and even at least two of them had words on them and they were recorded. Um, even I should dig those up at some point and just release so you them. Give that stuff away. And then he just stopped rapping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he paid me for it at least. Well, uh, that's good. He, um, so yeah, Adam Warrock was one of the original members of no friends, which is my rap crew. Um, which is Adam Warrock is still technically in it, but he's retired. So he's not also, um, but it's, uh, it's Cecil Nick from autocorrect and 80 from dual core sulfur, who is also in thought criminals with me and tribe one, who is also in two weeks notice with me. Um, but everybody who's in the group more or less like has carte blanche to get beats for me. Uh, and like, uh, so I end up producing for everybody in the group at this point. And, uh, that's kind of like the only people I'm guaranteed to produce for. I really like producing for Lex, the Lexicon artist. We've done a couple songs together now. Um, but for the most part, like, I don't really like doing beats for people. Like, you're just kind of like giving away. I don't know. I'm always like, I could be using this. I'm not letting you use it. Um, I do like collaborating with people. I like rapping on their stuff. And I like, I, I do like, I like producing for people whenever the, Workflow is good, but it so rarely is satisfying the way it is with like everybody in No Friends. I, it's a really, we have a workflow. And with Lex, the Lexicon artist, I really like working with her um, because they are 
like they don't even need a producer they they can play instruments and stuff and one of the things with lex is she'll like send me a song that'll already have instruments all over it and she'll be like this is the these are the parts i've already written and i'm like well what the fuck do you need me for (laughs) you already did everything (laughs) like uh but but that also is like i've never she's had me just do like session musician stuff where she wrote a bunch of parts and had me play guitar on on one of the songs on her last record i really enjoy the back and forth with them um but i'm like whenever I work with people and sometimes they're like, they want a million changes and it's just like endless back and forth. I'm always like, uh, you wanted a Michael Kilby, but you keep like, seems like you want a different, somebody else's beat <laughs> that you just want me to hammer my beat into. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, I like producing for those people and I, I, I have done so many songs. It's like hard to even pick like favorites. Cause there's just so much material. Uh, that I've done. Well, I, mean, I can tell you two of my favorites, mm-hmm. um, probably my top favorite Michael kill song. And one of my favorite songs of all time is always, oh. I know I've told you that before. Yeah. Um, that's just that. I tell you what, I will, I will play that for people and mm-hmm. the, we'll, we'll listen to it and they'll be like, wow, man, that was really good. That's really beautiful. And I said, it's about Severus Snape. <laughs> and they'll go, what? Said, it's yeah. like, uh, it's such a really personal song and that honestly i wrote like it is it is it is based on that but it's also like really personal and in a yeah, way I, it, that's it'd what's be hard great about to, it yeah i it doesn't, wrote it you don't you so don't have many to times. know that you don't have to know who it's about yeah, it's yeah. about anybody that's what's so great yeah. about it yeah all the nerdcore stuff like the stuff i tend to like the most and i think mc frontalot's really good about that actually he'll do songs that are about a thing but you have no idea and you don't need to. It's still just a good song. Yeah. Um, that one, I took a, I took a lot of time to do that one because uh, when we did the the uh, Slytherin House mixtape, it was more or less, there was only two songs we had on it that didn't have both of us on it, rapping. And that was my solo track and his solo track was, uh, God, what was it? Is it the one about Bellatrix maybe? I can't remember. But we we each had like one totally solo song on it, and I remade that beat and the the raps like multiple times because I just kept being like, uh, and I never do that. Like usually, if uh, if I'm if something doesn't click on the first try and I'm just not happy with it, I throw the whole thing away. I don't spend a lot of time like revising ever. I'll just start over and make something different if something isn't working. Um, but that song was like important to me to get. I loved that piece of the score. And I loved like subject matter, so I kept writing it and rewriting it. <laughs> well, I like the the vocal part in the chorus. It always mm. you you've done that on at least one other song. There's just this uh, this vocal part that reminds me of the song that they played during the 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 opening credits of Chasing Amy. Mm. You've seen that movie? I have, but it has been. I've not watched it this, in that, like that, 15 years. <laughs> and then they're, they just, they're, it's just this, you know, it's a, it's a vocal part, but that's not words. It's just, they're just like, ah, uh, oh, yeah. and it just, it totally I reminds do that a me. lot. Yeah. I definitely do that a lot. I love it. I love it. It's definitely something I think I cribbed from listening to Beatles records and yeah. when I was a kid, um, I'm big on like big vocal parts as an instrument. Um, yeah. I love yeah. when people use those as like melody samples too. And like, and rap beats and stuff. But as far as a couple of my other favorite Michael kill songs, are, mm. um, it's all right. 
to hate your effing life. <laughs> love that song. Love it. Um, I just yeah, love the mantra. idea of just, you know what? If you want to be depressed, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't let anybody give you any crap about that. Yeah, yeah. You just, you'd be you and you do what you got to do. I just yep. I love that. And then, of course, being a father myself, I love Daddy Works. I love that song as yeah. well. Yeah. Daddy Works. I, so like Human Disaster was actually like I started writing songs for it in like 2011, 2012, and then it didn't come out till 2016. Um, that was like one of the first ones I wrote. And I wrote it about uh, one of my tours where I left to go drive to New York. I was driving in the snow, driving to New York from my house in Kannapolis, which is near Charlotte, where I used to live. And uh, my daughter calling me while I'm like driving through ice and she's like, come home, play super me boy. I'm like, I can't come home. I have to like, I have to go do the show. I like, yeah. I, this is my job. Um, so, but yeah, that one is one that, uh, I've never done it live. It's like one I know I should do live, but it's like too emotional. I'll probably end up crying on stage. <laughs> And where does where does the vocal part in the chorus where does that come from? Well, if anybody asks, I totally created it, but but uh, the sample is actually from a Nancy Sinatra record. Okay, that's who I thought it was. And the song is called Drummer Man, and uh, the drummer who's on it is this like legendary session musician, and I cannot remember his name to save my life right now. Um, but I, I basically like layered different parts of the song over each other. And there's like a huge part in the song that's just him drumming. So like, it was like perfect for doing. Yeah, that's, that's one of my, I mean, I love the subject matter of the song. I, I really like um, the part where you say, uh, I do this for you. I do this for us. I do it for myself, but it's not all selfish. Yeah. I like that part. But the beat in that song, especially mm. after it kicks in and then it's just the drum. Yeah. Uh, that, that feels as a drummer, that just feels good in my soul. When I yeah, that is one. That is definitely one. That's like one of my favorites. I actually used to start whenever me and Adam Warrock would tour. When, when we did comic shop shows, I didn't do it. But when I, when we were playing in venues, I would always I would start my set by just playing that song while I got my stuff set up. And then when the song finished, like the sample, like I would play the original song sample because the original song basically about this. Is about this dude who's a drummer and he's really good, but he's not getting anywhere with it. And like his family's like struggling while he's like chasing the stream. You know? Yeah. Basically the same thing. It sounds like it's about when you're listening to the song. Um, it's like probably one of my favorite songs, period, though. Like the original sample. I have a hard time normally working with music that I'm a fan of. Yeah. Which is like, that's why I end up like, a lot of times when I get somebody else to make a beat out of something for me, I could do it myself, but it's just like really hard for me to pick and choose parts whenever I'm like a really big fan and attached to the music already. Yeah. Um, which is why like I, the retro city rampage EP, I got Vince Vandal to produce that and stuff like that. I ended up doing those kind of projects cause it's like hard for me to sample something once I'm too close to the source material. Yeah. Well, um, before we wrap this up, I've I included in the show notes in the on the on the YouTube channel. I've got your uh, website. I've got your band, the Bandcamp website. I've got your Facebook. I got your Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, anywhere else you want to direct people to? Um, my actual like link to my website is how could you do this to dot me, and uh, that has like links to everything on it in one place. If people want to go there, it's like basically my old 
I think it takes you to my old Tumblr blog, which is set up to be my website. Um, so that that's a good place to go. It's got like everything. Um, and if uh, if you go to my Instagram, which is just at my rap name, uh, it'll it there's a link in my bio that takes you to everything too. Okay. And what can we what can we look forward to? You said you're working on a couple of different things. Yeah. So the next thing I know for sure is coming out is the N80 piece. Um, I don't know if he's announced publicly what they're about. I think he has though. The EPs are called Loyalty. It's Loyalty One and Loyalty Two. Um, and I guess I'll just say it. I think he'd be all right with me telling people since it's coming out soon. But it's basically uh, EPs where I made all the beats out of samples from the uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood soundtrack, and uh, all the songs are indirectly inspired by that anime, which is like his favorite anime. I had never watched it before. He was like, Hey, like watch a couple episodes of this and tell me if you'd be interested in, in making these EPs with me because we were already working on troubleshooter stuff and he wanted to do like a solo project. Um, and I watched like before the end of the first episode was over, I was like, okay, yeah, this is amazing. Like I'm super in and, and I finished watching me and my whole family watched the whole series straight through in like a week or two. Uh, and then I made all the beats. Um, but I'm really excited for that. That is, I think that's some of my best beats I've ever done. Um, and it's some of the 80s best rapping. I think people are going to be uh, really into it when they hear it. He does a lot of crazy fast rapping on this record. Um, and I, I think people are going to like it. I love it. Uh, so that, that I know for sure is the next thing. We are planning to expand the Two Weeks Notice EP into an album. We actually had some other songs we had started, but we just need choruses and stuff. <clears throat> so we, we originally were hoping we could actually get the whole album done by Christmas, but we just kind of ran out of time. Um, so hopefully hopefully in January that'll probably come out. And when it comes out on Spotify and stuff, it's going to be a full album instead of just an EP. And what's um, the name of it? Uh, that's the a Calm Measured Response record. Okay. And it'll just be the Calm Measured Response LP instead of EP. Um, and then as far as my solo album goes, I don't really know for sure when that'll come out. At a, <clears throat> sometime this year for sure, but I don't know when. Probably sometime late summer, something like that. But we will see. Um, we're also working on a No Friends record, which we've been working on off and on. I think we have enough material written for two records, but we haven't recorded. any of it. We just have the beats and wrote the words. So yeah, hopefully we'll actually finish that this year. I hope we'll see. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's weirder when everybody's in different places and pandemic yeah, mode. So. Do you, well, but do you typically, I mean, cause everybody's in, in different areas of the, of the of the country, right? I mean, mm-hmm. typically when you guys put something together, when you collaborate, you're doing it all remotely. Yep. And so, so the, but basically the big thing with um, all the no friends projects, we write together at the same time. Um, how does that, that just seems weird to me. How does that work? How do you guys decide like, okay, I'm going to do the first uh, eight bars in the first verse <clears throat> and then you do, you know, how, how does that all come about? Uh, it just depends. Sometimes we'll like, um, like with two weeks notice me and tribe one and get on webcam. We'll just talk about shit for a while and catch up. And then, uh, 
while we're just chatting, usually we're, we'll have like a pool of beats I've put in that I think are appropriate. And then we'll both kind of be listening for one of them to grab us. Uh, and then somebody will come up with a concept of what we want the song to be about. And then we open a Google doc. We both open the same Google doc on from our different locations and we both start kind of writing stuff. Um, usually with the group projects, the big thing that decides who is going to go second or last just depends on who is going to have the best closing lines. If somebody comes up with something that feels like a good way to close the song, then they're, they just wind up being the one that does. And usually there's not a lot of, not a lot of bickering or back and forth on that. Usually um, I think we're all, we're all pretty comfortable and competent in our abilities to a point where it's not like, Nobody ever gets feelings about it. If you're like, well, I think I've got something for this ending. You might tell everybody what it is, but, and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's perfect. Or they'll be like, oh, maybe this. So usually if, even if, if somebody thinks like, well, I've got the perfect part for this, if, if they're wrong, then we just talk it out kind of thing. Um, it just all kind of flows together pretty organically. I think partially because we've all known each other so long. Yeah. I mean, even tribe one, uh, I've known, the least time I think, and I've still been close friends with him for at least seven years. <laughs> so, so like we really all uh, have just worked together so long and we've done it. The big thing though, is like, if we don't work on it together, they won't like, none of us will work on it. Like I'll work on the beats alone because I do that anyway. But like, if we don't do that, it's hard for any of us to, to stay on task with it. It makes it way easier um, when you're like actually chatting, can see each other writing. Yeah. Like it feels much more like, like being together and working on it. Yeah. Uh, without that webcam element, it would be harder for me for yeah. sure to work on that kind of stuff. But whenever we're actually getting together, it's usually there's definite like, <laughs> There's definitely competition between all of us. Anytime we work on this kind of stuff, everybody wants to have the best verse. They want to be the one that like roasts everybody else off the track. So there's definitely always like that is motivation to, to do something dope is like yeah. you want, you want to be the winner on any given track. And it's not a negative competition. Nobody's getting mad about it or anything, but there definitely is always that. Even when we were on tour, like when we did the, the no friends tour many years ago, um, Every night, the end of the night, we we were like talking about the show. Like, well, who do you think won tonight? Like, this is like how we would put it directly. Like, well, who do you think won tonight? Like, and a lot of times it was Niles because <laughs> Niles is the best rapper I've ever known. He, I, I, he does have some good rhymes. I like yeah. I like the way his flow is. He's got he's, good flow. he's so good. Um, it's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. Yeah. So I honestly can't remember the song, but there was a, a an Adam Warrock song in which he says something to the effect of uh, one of his favorite things is when he plays you a song that he's done and then you say you hate it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I remember what you're talking about because I don't know. He made a video for that song, but I don't know if that song I, actually I think ended up song. on anything. Is it? Is it this song? Um, yes yeah i think it is and he, he he shot he actually in the video he holds up the original no friends logo yeah um on on his phone like when he says that part about me saying i hate it 
Uh, I think that was definitely always a thing. Like one of the things that worked really well with me and Eugene was we gave each other both like really unfiltered feedback and, uh, they definitely knew if they sent me something and especially if I said the beat was good, then they knew it was great. Like, yeah. Um, cause, and I, you know, to be frank, there were a lot of beats Eugene used at a Morak used over the years that I was like, I genuinely hate this beat that you're using. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of the beats he chose, I would have never wrapped on, but you know, he obviously, has a lot of really good records when you're releasing a song an album. <laughs> when you're releasing a song every day yeah like he did yeah i mean and, you know I, I think that's a big thing with the way he left was like that's not sustainable in a in any kind of long term way i think he definitely burned himself out i think pretty much the entire time i knew him while he was working on music and we still talk and stuff but the entire time he was working on music, I think like me and and Travel One told him he needed to take a vacation like at least once a month. Like, <laughs> but he he is a very like he's a very all or nothing person. He's he'll keep just going at a hundred and ten percent until he's burned out. So yeah. I think that's basically what happened. I I he's asked me multiple times to do like to produce comeback record. At one point we got we had done those albums based on opera stuff a couple years ago. Like we got asked to do some music for a musical at one point. There's been like little things pop up that he asked me if I want to do with him. And then there's it. It's even got to the point of me making the beats for some of it. Um, but then he never ends up doing it. Like, I don't, I don't, uh, there was a point where I was like, well, he'll come back to it eventually. If only just for the nostalgia of it and for his own, like gratification or whatever, but I think he's really just done. And I think he really enjoys um, that. He did what he did. He kind of like got to the top of what he could with it. And then he just walked away. I think he likes that. I think he's happy at the job he's doing now working for a university. So I think he's just like, I think he just was good. I tried to get him to do the last no friends family reunion. And he was like, I can't. And once he, I kind of, once he couldn't do that, I was kind of like, well, that's, that's probably like that. I'm not going to yeah, keep I mean, asking. He's, he's got stuff. I mean, I still listen to his, his, his stuff. So yeah. I, I think I sent him something a year or so ago and just said, you know, whatever, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do, but just know that your people are still listening to your music. And if you never do anything again, you still, you got stuff out there that people are still listening to. And so you put something out in the world, that obviously means something to folks and uh, that's going to live on. Yeah. I think like the last thing I really suggested to him was just like, let's just do an EP and not put it under our names, like not tell anybody we did it and just put it on Bandcamp. <clears throat> Cause one of those opera mixtapes we did it like there was a, something happened with the opera company. Like they changed management, like as our release was supposed to come out that they paid us to do. <laughs> And they never promoted it. So they created a website for it, put it up on the internet. But the because of the way the set website was done, you couldn't find it through Google. And there was like no way for people to find out about it. And and like Eugene was like, should we even, should we just like see if anybody like finds it on their own and just not say anything? <laughs> like, yeah, let's do that. And so we didn't tell anybody and nobody found it for like a year or two until 
I was on some podcast and I just mentioned it in passing. Like that one time we had put out a release and nobody ever found out about it because it didn't get promoted. And uh, somebody finally found it that way. But like, I, I don't know. I, I loved the idea of like, well, it's just like we both have other rap names that we used like when we were younger for other projects that weren't like he wasn't Adam Warrock. He was something else. And I've always used Michael Kill since I was like 13, even whenever I was doing non-rap stuff. But I had another name I used uh, on some other material that nobody ever heard. So I was like, we can just use like those alternate rap names we had that nobody knows. And then we just put out this record and then don't tell anybody and just see how long it takes anybody to find it. And he thought the idea was funny, but then we never did it. So (laughs) (laughs) I still think that would be awesome, though. I love that. That would be pretty awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on here for this. I really had a good time. Oh, Uh, yeah. I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. Yeah. I wish we had more audience participation. But Uh, I'm still pretty low level. I mean, I think uh, I have a full 27 subscribers. Nice. (laughs) Uh, That's not bad. I I subscribe to your YouTube channel and I, I pretty much view all my do all my YouTubing on the TV through my Roku. Yeah. So I'm always skimming through my list of subscribers and I every, I keep getting pat. I go to Michael kill and I'm like, man, what's he going to do something on his YouTube? Yeah. I need to uh, actually do something. I, I have, I've been like thinking about how I need to do like a music video or something for a while. Uh, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, I got hit with like copyright strikes on some of my videos. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago. And then I just kind of quit putting things up. Um, I was doing a thing for a while where I was doing these, I called them like song flip Fridays. Aw. Hello, dear. <laughs> I assume that means my uh, wife and kids are watching. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. I just kind of like, I was doing these song flip Friday things where I was uh, rapping over songs that weren't rap doing other songs of mine. So I did like my smash brothers song over some of the music from smash brothers. And I rapped one of my songs over a Sleater Kenny song. I rapped one of my songs yeah. over uh, Elliot Smith instrumental that was unreleased, uh, different stuff like that. And uh, I was having fun doing those. But then once I got those copyright strikes, I was like, well, if I keep doing these, then I'm probably going to get flagged and then they're going to end up like locking down my account and screwing me over. So I just kind of quit. Um, I have a bunch of the private live streams that I did for the Patreon subscribers um, that are hidden on my YouTube. And I might make some of those like public, or at least I should probably relink some of them to the actual Patreon group on Facebook. My Patreon used to be like much more regimented with what I did with the subscribers because I had, I did private YouTube concerts every month. And, but then like YouTube started flagging my live performances, but it was weird because they weren't even like, I was doing live performances on acoustic guitar with no beats. Like they were all acoustic performances. I wasn't sampling. I wasn't playing any of the samples, wasn't playing any of the beats. It was just me on acoustic guitar and they would flag it within 30 seconds of me starting the stream. And it happened every time it would just lock it down and it got to where I couldn't do the performances. So then I started doing some stuff on Twitch um, and I quit doing Twitch because of weird 
trolls coming in the streams, um, which kind of like soured me on it. I am going to resume those though. Uh, like I, I did the fake four live performances twice now, and I've really enjoyed those live streams. Uh, and it felt like a good way to actually like play my music for people. So I'm going to try to start doing monthly Twitch performances uh, again, but cool. hopefully Twitch will not hit me with any weird copyright strikes. <laughs> For my own music. Yeah, I get like, uh, <laughs> I do uh, Just Another Fanboy is primarily an audio podcast. Uh, mm. And I put audio versions of the episodes up here on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And the, the the last two episodes I did were kind of a year in review. It was just clip shows of, of episodes I did for the year. But I, I put it all, I put a bunch of songs in there from Kirby Crackle. And I, I got a hold of him and he said that was fine. He didn't have any issues with it. But I put one up and I, 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 I put them up early and I schedule them to to release the next day and i had the copyright claim on it going before it had even released i had just put it up to schedule it and it's but i don't i don't worry about those too much because they just basically they tell me you just can't monetize this video and yeah i got 27 subscribers i ain't monetizing nothing right now (laughs) yeah i don't monetize i don't actually monetize my stuff either i i did get the last time i signed into my youtube there's Remix. I uh, did a remix of a Sage Francis song a long time ago, and there's a copyright. It's not a copyright strike, but it's a copyright claim. Mm-hmm. And the music is entirely mine, but it says that it's a Sage Francis song. And it is like his acapella on it, but I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But I don't know. He might have copyrighted the remix because I know he was planning to put it on a record at one point, but I haven't heard anything about that in years. So I don't know, (laughs) but I have seen that happen where uh, there's even like claims that somebody else has a copyright on something and it'll be something that's mine entirely and not anybody else's, Um, but it'll have somebody else's song name on it, but I don't monetize my videos. So they're not making any money off of, off of that anyway. And neither am I. So I don't care. Um, I, my my digital distributor puts like uh, the albums on YouTube, so I don't have to actually do that. But all the rec- all my records that are distributed digitally are on YouTube as like they're searchable. But okay, I know that generates some kind of revenue, but I don't not enough to care about. Yeah. <laughs> Streaming right. does not pay well. <laughs> no, that's that's what I've heard. You know, I, I try to buy when I buy music from from indie folks, I try to do it all on Bandcamp. And it's nice when they do the 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 thing on Fridays where mm-hmm. they don't take a cut of that. That's kind of cool. But yeah, um, that's been great. We made we made our we even that EP we did is pay what you want. The two weeks notice one. And we made a good amount off of that, like way more than I expected for a free release. Well, um, it, it got up to number six at one point, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it hit number six on the charts. Um, nice. I was like, holy shit. I did not expect that to happen because unless people choose to pay for it and they didn't have to do that at all, yeah, um, it, it won't chart normally. So I was I was super impressed that and flattered that people. Well, it's, a, it's a good like EP. That. I mean, from that first song, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the, the <laughs> yeah. moment that kicks in with the thing about Liam Neeson, I was like, oh, crap, I forgot about that. <laughs> Liam Neeson. That's right. They got that Liam Neeson song on that other, that other yeah. album. Yeah, because yeah, we, 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 I like whenever uh, I was like, God, what should we should we change that song or like go back and like, and I was just like, No, it's already made. Maybe we just reference it in something later. And I was like, All right, 
like I knew I, when we did that song, I knew I was going to put that line in there. I had that. That was the only line I knew in advance I was going to write. Um, uh, <laughs> that's kind <laughs> that of a, that. that's, I tell you what though, that's kind of a sad commentary on 2020. The fact that I, I hear that and I had totally, there's so many things have come out this year <laughs> about so many people that you almost yeah. have to have a spreadsheet. Like, yeah. right, I'm going to go watch this new movie. Who's in it? Let's check the spreadsheet. And see, if, <laughs> see if they were, see if they're racist or not. It's like an so unrelenting stuff is coming out. Unrelenting horror show. I mean, I think like with the older dudes, so much was, so much shit was like acceptable, you know, 30 yeah. years ago. And like a lot of, especially in acting, you see it with older musicians too, but I, I think like with acting, it's like a whole other world. A lot of these dudes, they got famous like 30 years ago and they're still famous and they're just out of touch. They don't. And like to them, it's, it's still all the same. They don't realize like the world has evolved. No. And they, they, I mean, he, <laughs> he apparently thought it was okay to uh, just say that, just yeah. you know, stand yeah. in front of the world and go, yeah, I was, I, I was, uh, <laughs> prowling the streets i was gonna kill a black person you know that's, yeah i'm like what did you think that's not okay gonna, to say <laughs> what did you think was gonna happen right. from that well yeah exactly what he obviously thought that he was saying the right thing yeah i, I mean he thought it was okay because he really yeah. disappointing it's like qui-gon come on <laughs> yeah but yeah like uh but like like i said in the song hopefully we we aren't like jinxing wholesome wholesome stars hopefully we don't hear anything bad about Dwayne the rock johnson yeah yes that's right yeah you didn't have to learn a lesson i can't i can't put any this is how this is how we out people we, we made a song after them and then the bad we'll find out later they're racist i mean this is the thing that i mean that's the thing with the nerdcore stuff in general and one of the reasons that i've moved away from a lot of the tribute stuff which i only really ever did the tribute stuff normally with with eugene i was i had other people ask me like dr awkward wanted to do a hunger games mixtape with me at one point and i told him no um like you know other people have asked me about doing that kind of stuff but i didn't want to get become the guy who only does these like weird tribute projects and i only wanted to do stuff i was like genuinely really interested in but it's also a thing where like i don't want to do music that is like beholden to anybody else's behavior or ideas like so and like when you're doing stuff that's based off somebody else's work it's like unavoidable that's gonna happen Um, that's that's why it's great that a song like always isn't specifically you know nowhere nowhere in that song do you mention any character names yeah because because who'd have thought you know hey let's do a let's do a uh a harry potter themed ep who'd have thought that <laughs> yeah she'd yeah. be coming out and running her mouth yeah. about stuff being her yeah it was it was like so disappointing to watch her behave the way she has in the in the past year and i mean i, I guess there's been elements of it for a couple of years but it's just yeah and it, it sucks because it's like there's a cool community that's sprung up around that book that exists separately from it you know there's like that whole whiz rock community everybody i've ever met from that it's been really cool they they really that community kind of embraced us when we released that mixtape because there's not a lot of rap stuff in that scene most people are doing like punk and stuff um or folk filk as they call it i guess um but yeah uh, that was one of the things that made me kind of like want to steer away from doing too many things like that that can be like tied too directly to a single person yep 
or or someone else's ideas. I don't know. Yeah. Don't ever want to feel like I'm promoting someone's ideas I don't uh, ascribe to. Well, and and yeah, you almost feel like anymore if 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 you're going to. You know, even even with like my podcast, I, I read a comic and then I want to talk about it. And there's a part of me that goes, well, are these guys? I don't know if you know about Comics Gate. Are these guys comics? Oh, you know, or do they promote do I want to talk about this comic book. You yeah. Know? yeah, I end up knowing about that stuff. I don't really follow comics anymore. Um, and it's not out of a, I would have the interest. It's just like I don't have the time and I don't have the money. It's yeah. so expensive oh, yeah. to keep up with comics. The same reason I quit playing Magic. It's just so expensive to keep up. Um, but I have a lot of friends who make comics and who are big comics fans. So I end up exposed to that stuff. And, and you know, like even the artists that we um, we work with for our flyers or album art and stuff, they're all touched by that stuff whenever yeah. those when those things happen every scene kind of has its own problems and i'm a i'm in a bunch of like weird like micro scenes so it's always like i don't know it's uh it's the same kind of stuff happens in every one of those scenes yeah. like that though all those little communities there's always uh some poisonous element <laughs> yeah that's it's sad but, hate is everywhere yeah, the chair materialized for a minute. I saw it. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> the, the little the thing I have that I don't have a green screen, so behind me and around me is actually like the whole room. So every now and then you'll see like yep. a little trace of something pop up. So <laughs> all right, well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, maybe we can get together again some other time. Uh, next time yep. you got something coming out, we'll we'll get together and we'll we'll talk some more. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Have man. a good night, man. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 